0: Mainly, This morning we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians, once again, chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at the subject of uh, spiritual maturity, understanding spiritual maturity. And uh, this really falls right in the middle of Paul's talking about uh, divisions in the church. He's been dealing with that since really the middle of chapter 1, in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. So this is one of the first issues, one of the first sins, you might say, that Paul brings up to this church in Corinth. And make no doubt about it, divisiveness is a sin. It is a sin. Um, Because we're to be united within the body of christ and it's interesting how satan works sometimes and so we have to be on our guard we have to be understanding of what the word of god says uh, through the apostle paul to us about divisiveness in the church i praise god that we're in a church where there's um, not a lot of divisiveness going on you can't say there's none there always is some because we're all different people going different directions whatever but um, for the most part, some churches really have an issue with this, and I thank God that over the years that um, the Lord's graced me to be here, and, and uh, with the, the folks that minister alongside of, we've had unity, and um, that's very important. It's very important for the glory of God, it's very important for the church of Christ. So I want to read our text for this morning here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I don't know if we'll get through all this, but verses 1 to 9. Paul says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? God's building. We're going to be looking at these verses today and in the coming weeks, but as way of introduction, I just want to remind you that this whole section here in Corinthians is setting up to begin to deal with some pretty heavy sins in the church of Corinth. And he starts off there, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, talking about worldly wisdom versus spiritual wisdom, divine wisdom. And what was happening in the church at Corinth was because of their pagan's background, because of the culture in which they live, they put a a high value on worldly wisdom, philosophy. And we've been talking about how that is empty. And so here, the apostle Paul begins to address some divisiveness within the church at Corinth because some of the believers there began to introduce philosophies of the world into the church. And as a result, they began to choose sides. That's why he brings up, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. They began to divide the body of Christ. And that's so important. Unity in the body of Christ should be maintained, but it should not be maintained at all costs. What I mean by that is you still have to stand for truth. You still have to present the truth of God. And sometimes the truth of God divides, unfortunately. And so we don't cower in those situations. But on the side areas, on issues that are not dealing with salvation, issues that are not dealing with the deity of Christ or who God is, major major issues, uh, we need to find unity. And so here, this unity has already been provided for us through through Christ. And so I have a question this morning. Why is it so difficult for us to live a Christian life that is being faithful to the Lord? Have you ever wondered about that? You know, I mean, before I became a Christian, pretty much I was kind of on easy street. I just did whatever I wanted. No big deal. I mean, it was sinful, but... There was nobody to account for it. And then when I came to Christ and I gave my life to Christ, all of a sudden, now I have this Holy Spirit dwelling within me. Now I have the Bible as the sole authority to live my life by. And I'm thinking, boy, if that life was easy, this is going to be easier. Well, guess what? It was anything but easy. I find myself, even today, and I found myself back then as a as a young believer, stammering and falling and and sin was ever present in my life and it was under severe conviction that I would try to beat the sin down and yet it just seemed impossible at times. And I'm thinking, God, I thought this was going to be easy. (laughs) I thought you were on my side. And when you look at Scripture, God has given us everything to live a faithful, God-honoring Christian life. He's given us His Word. He's given us the church. He's given us the power of the Spirit. And yet it's still difficult. I mean, maybe I'm just speaking to myself, but for me, it's very difficult to live a faithful Christian life day in, day out. And it's also, to be honest with you, very frustrating. Because, you know, I'm the kind of personality that likes to complete things. You know, if I start building a model, I want to complete it, I don't want to leave it half undone. If I start on a project, I want to complete it. Well, guess what? You don't ever get to complete the Christian life here on earth. You never get to a point in your Christian life where you can just sit back and go, hey, I arrived. I am finally perfected. I am completely sanctified. Now I just coast. That's never a reality for us as believers here on this side of glory. It's constant battle. It's constant struggle. Paul even uses words like a soldier to describe a Christian or a farmer. Any of those words don't sound like something that's easy to do. I know my brother was a farmer. I tried to work on his farm for one summer. I lasted about two weeks. I said, wait, hey, hey, I can't do this for six weeks. Are you crazy? I mean, you get up before five o'clock. The sun's not even up yet. And this is in the summertime. And then you, know, you, you break for about a half hour for lunch at 1130 and then you go back to work. And you're still working when the sun goes down. How do you do this day in and day out? That was, I mean, I have a high work ethic, but I didn't have one that, that great. Farmers are hard workers. Soldiers, when you think of a soldier, you think of someone in battle, and you know what? They, they're focused on what they have to complete. It doesn't matter if they're uncomfortable. I mean, that's one thing I think that kind of turned me off of ever really going any further than RLTC with the military was the idea that you would have to be out in the field sweaty and just grimy and not have anywhere to clean up. I mean, I'm just not that way. If I have a shower, hey, I'm good to go. I don't mind getting dirty, but i got to clean up. And the idea of weeks on end being in the same clothes, it's just, ugh, you know, that's not me. Um, and so those kind of those terms are used to describe the Christian life. And so by no means is it depicted as something that's simple, Jesus himself never told his followers, hey, come follow me. This is going to be easy. Easy peasy. Just follow Jesus and everything's going to fall into place. Now, what did he tell his followers? He said, you know what? First of all, you have to deny yourself if you're going to follow me. I mean, how many of you like to deny yourself of anything? I don't. I find it very hard to deny myself especially when the doctor says, well, maybe you should start denying yourself a little bit there, Mr. Converse, of certain foods or whatever. Just had an appointment with my new doctor at Kaiser before I went back to Pennsylvania before and, and uh, went through this interview process. And for the interview process, she had me fill out this form. Just for the last two weeks, what have you eaten for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? So I'm like, oh, whatever. So I wrote down some stuff, and then I looked at it, and I'm like, that doesn't look too, so I put some salads in there, you know, and I did have some salads, but that was not what was in my mind. You know, I'm thinking what I enjoyed eating, and I like salads, so I, I wrote some more salads in there, and so, and, you know, when we, she came in, and she, she said, the first time I met her, and, and she goes, well, I looked at the form you filled out, and I just have um, a couple comments, I said, okay, and she goes, I think you need to start eating more with a fork. I'm looking at her like, what are you talking about? I don't eat with my hands. I mean, what what do you mean? Well, you need to eat with a fork. (laughs) And she's kind of laughing, like I should know what that means. And some of you may know what that means, but I I had no idea. So she goes, in other words, stop eating so much with a knife. And then she's like, you're eating too many animals. I'm like, what? I mean, that just blew me away. I'm "I'm eating too many animals? (laughs) I said, well, I have chicken down there. She goes, that's still an animal. I thought, oh, boy. I said, you're one of those. We're going to get along real well, let me tell you. And we do, but it's all in, in kind of, you know. Uh. But I say all that because of, of the, simple, the simple reason. Sometimes it's difficult for us to, to live a Christian life, even though God has given us everything that we need. You know, our salvation brings us many more blessings than we had before. Stop and think about it. Um, You know, we have the blessings of peace with God. We have the blessings of an internal joy, not just happiness, but a joy that will last through the fiercest trial. We have the blessings of God has given us a meaning. He's given us a purpose for living now to glorify him. There's a lot of other blessings in the Christian life that the unbeliever doesn't have any idea. They don't experience it. They know nothing about those blessings. And yet, even with all those blessings and the gift of God's Word and the gift of the church and the gift of the Spirit, it's still difficult to live this Christian life we're called to live. I mean, when we have the Spirit of God within us, we're even given the mind of Christ The power of God? I mean, how is it so difficult to do the right thing day in and day out? you think that after, you know, 40 years in the Lord, you'd figure it out and it'd become easier. But it doesn't. Well, there's two reasons why. And this is still introducing the idea of spiritual maturity. There are two reasons why. One is the world and the other is the flesh. The one... The world is outside of us. We can't really control that. It's something that's a force from outside of us. The flesh, on the other hand, is something that resides within us. It comes from the inside. And these are the enemy's really main weapons against us. He uses these weapons, the world and the flesh, to tempt us, to keep us from faithfulness, to keep us from victory in our Christian lives. That's his goal. And so when you think of the first one there, the world, you think of something that's outside of of ourselves. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's tainted by sinfulness. I mean, you know, you just watch a couple TV shows and you see commercials that are kind of tawdry. They're kind of off color. Uh, you drive down the freeway and you see billboards that are tempting, you know, all those things are from the influence of the world. And it's difficult to be a Christian who's been transformed by the power of God. All of a sudden you're kind of like a fish that's out of water, or a fish that's trying to swim in the opposite direction of all the other fish. It's it's difficult. While everything else is floating downstream, you're fighting the current. You're fighting against the current, and you keep on slamming into this wall of worldliness that, that tries to keep you from breaking through to victory. The world is geared to go in a certain direction. That's why Paul is spending so much time on this, the philosophy of the world, because that's the way of the world, and he's saying you shouldn't be living that way. You shouldn't be living according to those standards. You're to go in the opposite direction. And that's what makes the Christian life hard. That's that external pressure on living the Christian life that we all feel. Well, the other thing that is bothersome to us in our Christian life is the internal, the flesh. We're still in these sinful, fallen bodies. You're going against the grain of your own humanness when you live a Christian life. Now we don't believe that the Bible teaches that you have, you know, two natures, an old nature and a new nature, and you kind of kind of decide who you're going to serve. Uh, Paul kind of put that to rest when we went through Romans, did he not? He said the old nature's dead. But we're still in this sinful body. We're still in the flesh, Paul says. In Romans seven, Paul says that I, I love to do what God wants me to do. I want to do God's will. But there's something inside of me, my flesh, is at war with my mind. I want to do what God wants me to do, but I can't. I keep on falling into sin. And he uses words like, the thing I want to do, I, can't, I don't do. Or the thing I know that's right, I don't end up doing. I do the thing that's wrong. There's something within our flesh that's at war with our mind. And so many times it wins the fight. It makes me a slave to that sin that is still within me. And take, make no doubt about it, sin does dwell within us. I, I loved what uh, Mortification of the Sin, the, the author there, John Owen, said Sin is not what we do, sin is what we are. We're sinful creatures before a holy God. And that's all internal. Now, yes, our standing before God when we come to Christ and our sins are forgiven, our standing practically before God is righteous. He doesn't look at our sinfulness anymore. He looks at the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because when we went to the cross and we asked Christ to save us, God imputed to us, he put on us the righteousness of his Son. And he took all of our sinfulness and he put it on Christ. Even though he had never committed any sin whatsoever. God treated him on the cross as if he had committed all the sins of all those people who would ever put their faith and trust in him. And that's why it was such a difficult process for Christ on the cross. It wasn't so much the physical stuff. I mean, you know, we're coming up on Passion Week and Easter and Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday. And people like to talk about the physical suffering of Christ. Well, there is an element of his physical suffering. It was a horrible death physically. But that paled in comparison to the spiritual issues going on on the cross. That the very Son of God took upon himself the sins of all those who would ever put their faith and trust in him and bore the wrath of God in our place. I mean, we can't even understand that. And so we have this flesh thing going on that makes it difficult. We got the pressure from the world that makes it difficult. And the reason the flesh is sinful is because we're born that way. That goes back to Adam and Eve. We're born with a tendency to sin. You don't have to teach a little child to sin. I mean, just go over to the nursery. You have little babies over there. It's not too long. What are they doing? Mine, and they're grabbing it from their, the other kid or whatever. I mean, you know, that's just natural. You don't have to teach them to do those things. And so, what happens is all of a sudden, we have this, this sin that's dominating our lives, and then Christ saves us. And when we're saved, God breaks us from that evil influence. You might say he kind of neutralizes it in a sense, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to reside within us once we're saved so that we can overcome and have be victorious over sin. But the one thing he doesn't do, he doesn't remove the tendency to evil that is in our humanness. He doesn't remove that. In other words, once you become a Christian, you still have evil desires. You still have are enticed by sin. You don't have some kind of a, a force field around you as a Christian where sin can't penetrate. And we all know that too well. That's why there's verses like first John one nine. Right? If we confess our sins and I've said this before, it's not so much if we confess, it's since we confess. <laughs> since we confess our sins. Why? Because we all have sin. And the one that says they don't sin is a liar, God says. And so all those things he does, we still, we have the power of the Spirit, the power of the world. We're in this ultimate struggle, this spiritual struggle. On the way to ultimate triumph, will we be victorious in the end? Definitely. There's no question. If you're a believer in Christ, you will have victory. You're on the right side. God has defeated our enemy. He's defeated the power of sin. Power of death. He's defeated Satan himself, even though he doesn't know he's defeated yet. He may know it, he just doesn't act like it. So Satan uses those two things the world that's external and the flesh that's internal to make this life difficult. Um, it's kind of like you're going, you know, you're swimming upstream. I remember when we were, in, we were at some resort and there was one of those lazy rivers. You get on one of those, you know, you get on an inner tube and you just kind of lay there like a, whatever, dead fish and float around, you know, this lazy river for uh, an hour or so. It's just relaxing, right? And you got other people floating around. Well, I remember everybody's just going with the flow, having a good time. And then there's one kid that decides, I'm not going to go with the flow. I'm going to go against the flow. And so he was on his inner tube and he's got his hands on the side of the channel there and he's trying to fight. You know, the water, the, the, the water that's naturally taking him on, he's fighting and he's kicking and he's it's just creating problems for everybody because people are bouncing into him. It's like, dude, what are you doing? You're going the wrong way. Oh, I want to go the other way. And so he's trying to, I don't know if he's just trying to complete the whole circle or whatever. Finally, you know, he created such a hassle for everybody because people kept on running into him that one of the lifeguards or attendants came out and said, hey, you need to go with the flow. And I remember hearing that guy say, you need to go with the flow. And I thought, boy, that's a perfect picture of what the world tells us, as believers. Because as as Christians, we're we're, we're trying to fight against the flow. We're not not willing just to bow down and, and, and just for the sake of unity and peace, go along with the flow. That's not what Christ has called us to do. Now we don't wanna be obnoxious, we don't wanna be disruptive just for the purpose of being disruptive, We don't want to create problems just for the sake of being problems. But on the other hand, if you're going to stand up for the truth in any semblance at all, you're going to be an issue in this world. There's going to be a target on your back. People aren't just going to go, oh, look at that wonderful little Christian. They're fighting against everything that we stand for. No, they're going to fight you with everything it takes. And so these are the two issues. And the problem here in Corinth was... When they they faced this, they weren't able to avoid either the world or the flesh. They had both things going on in their lives at the same time. They were succumbing to the world because they had all these individuals who came into the church with the worldly wisdom, and they said, Hey, we're gonna we're gonna bring this in, we're gonna bring that in. Because that's what they valued. And then on the other hand, they were succumbing to the flesh. And the result was all kinds of sin going on in this church. I mean, it's hard to understand the kind of sin that was taking place. I mean, you had believers within the same church taking them and suing them and taking them to court. I mean, some of you have been here for any any time period before my time, you understand what that's about. See, And, and this is what's important to understand is those things have nothing, no place in the church. I mean, you're talking about sexual immorality within the church. They turned the communion dinner, the communion fellowship time, into basically a drunken orgy. I mean, if you can imagine that. I can't even imagine that happening. But that's really what happened. And so as a result of this, the result of the influence of the world, the influence of the flesh, all these sins were occurring And from the beginning of chapter 1 all the way to chapter 16, he just keeps dealing with one sin after another. That's what he's doing. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing. And one of the sins that he talks about here in chapter 3 is division or divisiveness. It is a sin. It's not something that's meant for the church of Christ. But it's not an isolated sin. John MacArthur said this, sins are always combinations of other sins. And really that's true when you stop and think about it. Um, Pride, envy, jealousy, you can go on and on. All of our sins are are kind of made up of a conglomeration of of a bunch of sins. And one of those sins he's talking about here is division. Division. And he knew that if he could somehow correct the divisiveness in this church, if, if, if he could do that, he could take care of a lot of the other sins. They would just fall by the wayside. They wouldn't even be important. So he spends a tremendous amount of time in this book talking about division. And he says there, basically, your division is caused by two things. It's caused by worldliness, and it's caused by fleshliness or the flesh. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we're told this, the prophet Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules." What is that descriptive of? It's descriptive of our salvation experience. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and God comes in and he says, hey, I'm gonna wake you up. I'm gonna transform you. I'm gonna create in you a new person that didn't exist before. And when a person becomes a Christian, he also becomes a new creation. The Bible says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We have a new nature. We have a new being. And we have a new favorable disposition before God. None of those things can happen apart from an experience with Christ. Those things don't happen by coming to church. Those things don't happen by taking confirmation or taking communion or getting baptized or praying. Those things can only happen when God gloriously reaches out and touches your heart and opens your blind eyes to the glorious gospel of Christ. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4 Peter writes this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You would think if God granted us everything that pertains to life and godliness as Christians, that our Christian lives would be easy. But guess what, they're not. And then he says this, through the knowledge of him who called you, called us to his own glory and excellence, verse four, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I mean, God has given us everything we need. Or Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come the ESV says. See, from that point of conversion, the Lord takes us to be with himself. And all you have to do is look at the ministry of Christ. And when you look at the ministry of Christ, you realize he was not one to go with the flow. He went against the religious authorities. He went against the worldliness of his time. He went against everything. And so that's what we're... That's what we're called to do. We're not called to go along with the flow. Well, you say, well, what is this worldliness? What are you talking about? You know, everybody can kind of come up with their own definition of worldliness. If I said, what would you, you know, how would you describe worldliness? You may say, well, that's somebody who goes out and gets drunk or somebody that smokes or somebody that takes drugs or, well, well that's fine. I mean, we could all come up with our own little definition of worldliness, but worldliness basically is this, if you want a, a definition for it, it's accepting the world's definitions and the world's measuring sticks and the world's goals. That's what worldliness is. It's accepting the world's definitions of things, the world's measuring sticks, how we measure success, how we measure different things, and then also the world's goals, Basically, it's buying into the world's philosophies, which Paul has just been talking about. He's telling the Corinthians, don't go there. You should be interested in divine wisdom, not worldly wisdom, not the world the the, the wisdom of this age, he calls it. Worldliness is, is looking to the world, to the human leaders, to influential, popular people, to neighbors, associates, fellow students, whoever, for our standards in living, for our attitudes, and for meaning in life. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people within the confines of the church that do that. They do it all the time. And so that's what worldliness is. But the second thing here is the flesh. So you have this, this outside influence of the world, but you also have this influ- inside influence of the flesh. Um, and and what, this, what this fleshliness does in us as Christians, it provides a bridge for this worldliness to travel into our lives. You know, if we were in our glorified state, we probably wouldn't have a big deal with the world. It wouldn't bother us much because we'd be totally impervious to it at that point. But here, we're not. We're still in our fleshly bodies. Our flesh is not removed. And that's not gonna happen, the Bible says, until, look back at Romans 8. Remember when we went through Romans 8, look at verses 18 to 25. Here's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about this future glory that we can look forward to as believers. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's going to be revealed to us. Verse 19, for creation waits with eager longings. Verse 23, and not only the creation, he says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And then he goes on and he talks about the power of the Spirit in our lives. But see, it's important to understand that this is a process. We haven't arrived yet. And so until we do arrive, until the flesh is continually removed and we have our glorified state, we're going to have to deal with sin to some extent. And we're called to resist it. We're called to fight against it. I mean, Paul, even, even back in, in, in Romans 7, I mean, he, he talks about this very clearly in his own life. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. In other words, I still have a sinful body to deal with. Sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. He was confused. For I do not know, for I do not do what I want but the, I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells where? In me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. He clarifies it. Why does he clarify it? Because he knows he's the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in him. So he says, well, wait a minute, what I'm saying is in the flesh, in the fallen flesh, nothing is good there. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. So Paul was struggling with the same struggle. You know, sometimes that's good to know, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes people come up and, hey, you know, I'm struggling in this area. kind of makes me feel good. It's like, wow, I thought I was the only one to struggle with that. You know, in a, in a weird way, you can kind of identify with them. Not that you're glorying in their sin or anything, but you're kind of saying, wow, I'm glad there's somebody else out there with the same problem I have. Um, and that's, that's what, what Paul is doing. He's being transparent. He's being realistic. And that's what we're called to be as a church, are we not? We're called to be realistic. We're called to be transparent. We're called to be honest and open with each other, even though that seems threatening at times. Well, what will people think? What will be, you know, I mean, sometimes my wife cringes. Sometimes I'll say something in the pulpit. And she says, oh, why'd you say that? I'm just being transparent. And sometimes, you know, you can overdo it, which I probably do sometimes. But I think it's important, you know, that if i got to get something off my chest and I need to talk to somebody, I can, I can talk to somebody in the church and be honest and open with them. They're not going to judge me. They're not going to question my motive. That's the kind of true fellowship in body, the body of Christ. That's how it should operate. The problem is we have so much pride and we have so much jealousy and we have so much other issues going on, we're afraid to be open because we're afraid somebody will, you know, talk about us. Oh, oh here, this person told me that or blah, blah, blah don't worry about that you know god knows your heart more than anyone else and so we don't want to buy into the philosophies of the world we want to be aware that we have to deal with this um, fleshliness and this is really kind of brings us to our text i said that's a long introduction but i said we wouldn't get through it so i don't feel guilty (laughs) um But I think if you had one word to characterize the flesh, one word in the English language, it would be selfish. Selfish. That's what characterizes our flesh. Um, And and it's it's, it's been that way ever since sin sin entered into uh, humanity. And so here, the Corinthian church had a struggle dealing with these issues. And the one thing I see here is Paul being critical of them, and, and rightfully so. He, he starts off there in verse 1. He says, but I, look at that word, brothers. See, he's, he's, he's really establishing their relationship with him and with the Lord. See, just because someone gets caught up in a sin or someone's doing something wrong, it doesn't mean they're not a Christian. I mean, if that were the standard, none of us would be Christians. Because we all falter, we all fail in myriads of ways, probably every day. That's where the grace of God comes in. That's where the forgiveness of Christ comes in. That's why the Bible says, once again, since we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Paul starts off here, he's getting ready to say some hard things to these people, and he says, But I, brothers, you know, you know you're in trouble. You know. Something's coming down when someone says, you know, I love you, right? It's like, okay, well, just, just say it. I'm ready. Just say it. I mean, and that's good. It's good to start off that way, to kind of reaffirm your relationship with somebody. And it's, it's a technique people use all the time. Um, most people do. And, and that's a good thing to do. It's to reaffirm that relationship. And so he's not here blasting them with both barrels, but he's being compassionate. He's being understanding. He says, but I, brothers, and then he says this, could not address you as spiritual people. This is what he wants to do. He wants to address them as spiritual people, but he can't. And he tells us why. He has to address them as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. See, he hopes to present spiritual meat to them, to spiritual truth, but he can't because of their maturity in Christ. Now, the one thing that we need to understand here is what is he talking about when it comes to the idea of spiritual maturity? What is he saying here? Could not address you as spiritual people. Well, why not? He's not saying they're not spiritual people. Do you understand that? He's not calling them non-Christians here. He's saying, no, you're obviously spiritual people, but I can't address you as spiritual people. I can't address you at the level of the calling to which God has called you. Why not? Because you have this influence from the world and you also have this influence from your own flesh. And both are just creating havoc in your lives and therefore in your church. He wants to do that. He wants to teach them. He wants them to grow, but he can't do it a serious problem, and it speaks to their spiritual maturity. I'm reminded of a song, I think it was back in the the 80s, actually, that Amy Grant sang, and it just speaks to this. It's called Fat Baby. Here are the words. I know a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell he might even be you. He knelt at the altar... And that was the end. He's saved, and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy—it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best, and he gives his language a spiritual rest. He's just a fat, 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 fat little baby. That's how the song goes. Then it goes wah, wah, wah. (laughs) He wants his bottle, and he don't mean maybe. He sampled solid foods once or twice. But he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood. But his daily devotions are stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible and John 3.16. He's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's mama's boy and he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him I said he'll never grow if he never gets fed. He's just a fat, 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 See, this is what Paul really is telling the Corinthians here. He's like, I want to address you as spiritual people, but I can't because you have so much crud in your lives. You have so much fleshliness in your lives. You have so much influence of the world in your lives. I have to address you as people of the flesh. He's not calling them people of the flesh. He's saying, I have to address you as such as infants in Christ. And by the way, that that word infants doesn't mean new believers. So many times people say, well, you know, they're they're just a little baby Christian. This this is not what this is intending for us to mean. It's not talking here about their time in the Lord. It's talking about their maturity in the Lord. See, this is is different from um, the, the previous time when Paul was talking about the, 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 the mature talking about believers as a whole and then talking about the wisdom of this world, talking about the unbelievers. Here, he has an idea of people who have come to Christ. They've, they've, they've been transformed by Christ's uh, glorious power. They're in the body of Christ, but they're not growing because of all the influence of the world and sin and flesh going on in their lives. And his point is is that shouldn't be that way. There's no excuse for a believer in Christ to remain at the same level of spirituality that they came when they came to Christ. In other words, as you progress in your Christian life, you should be growing more what? Like Christ. You should be growing in godliness. You should be growing in divine wisdom. You should be growing in your knowledge of the scriptures. And you can tell very quickly when some people have kind of just stalled. It's like maybe they got saved and they they read a lot and got a lot of influence, and then they just leveled off. And God hasn't really done anything in their lives lately. That's not the Christian life we're called to lead. That's not the Christian life we're called to live. Every, I mean, think of it this way. Every day in your Christian life should be a new adventure with the Lord because you don't know what that day holds. You have no idea. You don't know what blessing is going to come your way. You don't know what trial is going to come your way. You don't know what new, new insight when you open the Bible and you, you read the Gospel of Luke for the end time. All of a sudden, God opens up a verse and you go, whoa, thank you, Lord. It just touches your heart. Every day, every moment is an adventure with the Lord. It's not some humdrum, you know, follow the rules kind of life. And you know what? I mean, I wish to God that I came to Christ a lot earlier than what I did. I came to Christ when I was 19. But some of you in this room, you know Christ now at a much younger age. What a glorious thing it is to live the majority of your life under his guidance, under his influence, with the Holy Spirit of God living within you, guiding you and leading you, showing you what decision to make, when to make it, where to go. See, that's what what Paul wants them to, to get to that point where every day is an adventure. Don't level off. Sometimes I talk to older Christians. Christians have been Christians for years. And they almost act like, you know, it's... They've arrived. Like, you can't teach me anything. How sad. How sad is that? Because it's not us to teach. It's, it's the Spirit of God that teaches us. And to think that somehow you've mastered the Word of God from cover to cover and you can't learn anything from anybody, what does that speak? It speaks pride. It speaks arrogance. It speaks very much of the spirit of the, the Pharisees when Jesus was with them. That kind of like, what are you going to hear from Galilee? What are you going to teach us, Jesus? See, God doesn't want that kind of mentality, that kind of spirit within his church. He wants people that are hungry for the word. He doesn't want people that are focused on worldliness and the flesh. He doesn't want people who are still infants, that still need to be fed out of a little bottle. The very basics of the word of God. Look at verse 2. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. He had to, because they couldn't handle the solid food. For you were not ready for it. Why? Because he had all this stuff going on. He says, even now you're not ready. I mean, he's been with them. They've sat under his teaching now for an extended period of time, and they're not getting it. Their minds are closed off because their minds are filled with all this other crud of the world and of the flesh. And God says, you know what? You need to turn from all that. And you need to come back afresh and ask God to do a fresh work in your life if that's where you're at in your your spiritual walk. That's why when we come Together and we study the word of God together. This should not be a boring lecture. This should be something that excites all of us, including me. Because God has touched my heart through these words this past week. And I'm praying that that somehow communicates to you in your life and you can apply it however God wants you to apply it. But we need to move beyond the milk. This is what he's telling him. I can't do it, he says. You're not ready. In verse 3, he says, For you are still of the flesh. You, you're still holding on to all this stuff that you were supposed to walk away from. It's still influencing you in a negative way. And he points it out. Look at what he says in verse 3 there. He says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you. This is something that is among all of us. We all have a little bit of all the stuff. We're not perfect yet, right? We all got issues. It's not, it's not a matter of becoming perfect Christian. No, but it's a matter of recognizing the issues you have and then confessing them and moving on. And so he's very critical to them here in the first two verses. He, he, he hopes to do something with them, but he can't, and so he has to do something else because of their own carnal, fleshly Immaturity. And he says, you're behaving, what, only in a human way. Think of that. He's telling Christians, you know what, I don't see any spirituality in you at all. Even though you're a spiritual people. I want to address you as such. You you claim to have known Christ. You're part of the church. I can't. I can't do it because I'm not seeing it. There's jealousy, there's strife, there's worldliness, there's flesh. You're behaving only in a human way. See, most of us behave in a human way, but hopefully as Christians, we also behave in a spiritual way. Would you agree? I mean, we have part of our life that, you know, the Spirit of God leads us and guides us each and every day, and hopefully, for the most part, we're obedient to that, but we're not perfectly obedient. So when we're not perfectly obedient, we're behaving in a human way. That's okay. But he says, you're only behaving in a human way. There's no spirituality here at all. And then he gives an illustration of that. He says, one says, I follow Paul, another follow Apollos. Are you not merely being human? So he begins his correctiveness with them. And we'll, we'll get into that next week. But this morning, I just want you to be reminded that, you know, spiritual maturity is not something that just comes automatically. I mean... I don't believe there's different classes of Christians. Some denominations believe that. That some have the Spirit, some don't. Some have certain gifts. All that. No, I, I think that we're all mature in the sense that we are in the body of Christ. We're not in the world any longer. But once we're in the body of Christ, once we have been transformed by God's grace, that we've come to him, we've confessed our sins, he's forgiven us, and he's placed us in the body of Christ, then he... He gives us certain instructions to help us grow in our godliness each and every day, grow in our spiritual maturity. You know, in the Catholic Church, which I was raised, they believe that the priest has to give the congregation only milk as far as doctrine. You can only feed them milk. It's only the priest that gets the solid food. That's what they believe. And they've practiced that for years. And they they keep so much information from the common person in the pew. Which is not what we're called to do as believers. You know, we want to be a church that focuses... I mean, there's going to be some milk, obviously. It would be hard to eat all solid food all the time without any liquid. You know, if somebody like me, I drink a lot of liquids when I eat. I drink more liquids probably than I do food when I have a meal. So, you know, it's important to have both, but here he can only give them milk. And it would be kind of like, you know, those of you who've been in the hospital and, and maybe you've had some issues and, you know, they're having to feed you and they feed you this bland food. It's just, ugh. I've never been in the hospital, so I don't know what it's like. But I hear these horror stories of it, and you know the the desire is just to eat something that's good, something that has some substance to it. you are tired of eating these, you know, mashed potatoes or whatever it is, with no taste, no salt, no pepper, nothing. You know, uh, you can only do that for so long. And and God is saying, hey, as you grow in Christ, you should have a desire for more meaty foods. You should have a desire to understand more doctrine, to understand more about who God is. Well, my grandson and I were out for pizza last night, and he asked me like three or four questions, really good questions, spiritual questions, which was great. We had a great conversation there. And it was, it was encouraging to me to see that, wow, okay, he wants to know this stuff. And, and so, you know, we had a good, good dialogue about these things. Um, and that's, that's what our Christian life should be made up of. We shouldn't be here just to get a, you know, a sermon on a Sunday and then go our merry way. If this is all you're relying on for your, your spiritual substance each week, it's, it's, it's not going to cut it. All right. I'm not demeaning my preaching or anything. I'm just saying that's not you could have Charles Spurgeon preaching here. It wouldn't be enough. Okay? You have to be willing to do the hard work to mine out the scriptures each and every day. That's why we should have a quiet time. That's why we should have a devotion. If you're in the journaling, journal. Whatever it takes, but get your noses in the book. You know, this isn't. A church where we jump around to different passages we're in the book of first corinthians my prayer is that you're reading through the book of first corinthians maybe once a week so that when we get to chapter four you already know what's there and it's just kind of reaffirming what you've concluded i don't have a spiritual corner on the truth nor does anyone else and so we have to rely on the spirit of god to lead us and to guide us in all these things so this morning As far as spiritual maturity goes, we just need to be reminded that we're all in that process. And we shouldn't be judgmental. We shouldn't be caustic toward others. But at the same time, we need to stand solidly, solidly on God's word and his truth and present it uh, without apology. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray, Lord, as we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians, that you'll do the work that only you can do. Um, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we are uh, mere vapors here on this earth, dust. Um, We're we're not going to be here for very long. And yet you've called us to have an influence uh, as great as salt and light. And, Lord, the only way we can do that is to be living lives as Christians that we know that you're affecting change in us so that other people can see that change and that therefore maybe we can somehow influence their lives for change for Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray that more than anything else that um, you would help us to be discerning as we leave these, these walls and go out into this world that is fighting us on every corner. They're, they don't want to hear the truth. And yet, we have to present the truth to them. We pray that we would do it in a gracious, compassionate way. And yet, at the same time, not compromise the gospel in any way. And Lord, as a result, your promise will be fulfilled. That it doesn't return void. And Lord, that we would see neighbors and friends and family members come to Christ. That they would cling to the cross and the cross only. Um, That our, our praise would be that we only have Christ. That's all we have in this world. And, Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us. You've given us your word. You've given us a wonderful church to be part of, to fellowship. And, Lord, we just pray that you would bless this time as we, we don't know when we're going to leave this earth, but, Lord, you do. And, Lord, I just pray that you would um, make our time useful, help us to be good stewards of our time in a way that would honor and glorify you. Uh, Lord, we pray for any here this morning who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ. I pray, Lord, that somehow that you would do that miraculous work of drawing them, dragging them to the cross, whatever it takes, Lord. Um, Lord, we just pray that, uh, that they would understand that you love them and you, your grace awaits them, that Christ has paid for their sins. They just need to reach out and take that gift of salvation, Father. We thank you. And we pray for our fellowship time across the way. Bless the food, bless our fellowship time as well. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's close.